Welcome to Broadview Baptist Church today on a cold and icy day. I hope that uh, you stay safe today. And one quick announcement, life groups begin next Sunday, January the 9th at 5 p.m. Life groups are short-term opportunities to complete a study or uh, learn a skill with other people. We'll also have a youth Bible study, a uh, Kids ministry called Go Kids for elementary students and a nursery for our little ones. You can go to broadviewchurch.com slash life groups to sign up and see what we have there. Or uh, you can call the church office and we'll be glad to, to assist you. Now let's uh, go ahead and uh, begin our study this morning. I want to tell you that next Sunday I'm beginning a new sermon series called Counterfeits. And in this series, we're going to make some sense of the tectonic shifts that are happening in our society and the world. And I believe that the timeliness of this next series will be very much to our benefit. And uh, yet there's also a sense in which when we try to deal with the uh, changes that happen in society, it is very much painted against a background that is in flux. <coughs> there seems to be no end to the transformations that we've seen recently in our world. And the further that we progress down the timeline of human history, the rapidity of these changes assaults our delicate sense of equilibrium. And as Christians, we're left with a choice. With all these changes that we face, we can either retreat into ever-diminishing enclaves and subcultures within our society, or we can make the choice to engage our ever-transforming culture with the timeless truths of God's Word as well as our lives of holiness to which God calls us. And so even though we may not be able to see all the changes that lay ahead of us, we must do the very best we can today to prepare ourselves for the challenges and the changes of tomorrow. It's as if we don't worry about the horses being blind, we just load up the wagons. And so I invite you to return again next Sunday as we begin the series, Counterfeits. Today, however, I want to look at one of the more obscure and strange teachings of the New Testament, and it is entertaining angels. Now, when I talk about entertaining angels, I'm not talking about angels that entertain us by juggling or doing feats of strength or anything like that. I don't think that's why angels exist. Uh, but I'm talking about angels that we host as guests. And the Bible tells us that angels might show up as guests, and we don't even realize it. And we find this teaching in Hebrews chapter 13. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. And uh, here at the end of the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is wrapping up everything that he says with a series of simple encouragements and directives. He says things like, let brotherly love continue. He says, remember your fellow believers who have been imprisoned for their faith. He says, be faithful in marriage. He says, don't be greedy. He says, obey your pastors. He says, don't, let, don't be led astray by strange doctrines. He says, do good and share. And he says, obey your pastors. Now, I know I've said that twice, uh, but the reason I've said that twice is this. 
The author of Hebrews says it twice in this very same chapter, and so it must be important, perhaps even for your benefit. And so right near the beginning of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, we find this other instruction, and it's very simple at the beginning. It simply reads this way, Don't neglect to show hospitality. And I think that's just a fantastic message, a, a wonderful reminder for us. We need to be hospitable to all people, both people we know and to strangers. You know, hospitality is a big deal. Right here in Lubbock, Texas, at Texas Tech University, you can get one of three different bachelor degrees in hospitality. You can get a master's degree in hospitality or even a doctorate, a Ph.D. in hospitality. In fact, Texas Tech has a program where you can get two of their bachelor degrees in Costa Rica. And on a day like today, with all the snow and ice, that seems pretty tempting to me. Now, of course, if you're a business professional and you want to learn about hospitality, one of the gold standards in training is from the Disney Institute. Disney has seemingly mastered the art of making their customers feel very welcomed. One of the best hospitality experiences Amy and I have ever had was when we went to New York City. And as we uh, traveled there. We went to Times Square where our hotel was. It was the Casablanca Hotel. And as we got out of the car, the bellhop gathered up our bags. The doorman said, hello, Dr. Rhodes and Mrs. Rhodes. And he opened the door for us. And then as soon as we walked into the hotel, the receptionist behind the desk said, good evening, Dr. and Mrs. Rhodes. Welcome to the Casablanca Hotel. Well, we were incredibly impressed because we had never even introduced ourselves to any of these people, and yet they knew our names. And so we felt very special. Hospitality has become approximately a $200 billion per year industry in the United States, much of it coming from tips at the Casablanca Hotel. Uh, but before hospitality was an industry, or before it was a seminar, or before it was a degree at a college, it was a Christian virtue. Now, when you and I talk about hospitality, what we usually mean is it is a kindness that we show out of courtesy. We say things like, oh, how nice they offered us coffee, or how wonderful the host offered to take our coats, or they greeted us with a warm handshake, and that's what we mean by hospitality. And there does seem to exist, uh, in fact, I believe with all my heart that this exists, a Southern hospitality or a Texas hospitality that is much different than the kind of hospitality you might be offered in, let's say, Chicago or Philadelphia. But Christian hospitality goes deeper than simply being courteous to other people. In fact, we don't even have in English a single word that can describe Christian hospitality. We have to put together a couple of words to describe it. In the Greek, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, in the original language, the word translated hospitality is the Greek word philoxenia. Philo means brotherly love, and xenia means strangers. 
You've heard about someone being xenophobic. It means they, they fear strangers. They fear people that are not like themselves. Well, philo, xenia, literally means love of strangers. And I want you to keep that in mind because in ancient cultures, it was very important to take care of the needs of strangers. In fact, there was an obligation to take care of strangers' needs. There was an almost universal expectation to take care of strangers. And what this usually meant in ancient days was that you would open up your home to strangers. You would feed strangers. You'd let strangers stay in your home at night. Well, in Hebrews, excuse me, in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, Paul says, very briefly, he says that we must be given to hospitality. It's the idea that every single day we are on the lookout for strangers to assist. It means that our hearts are inclined toward helping strangers. But you know, this is the exact opposite of most of what our society does today. In fact, most of us have captured the heart of our society in doing the exact opposite of being given to hospitality. Typically, we in our society try to avoid strangers. We go out of our way to avoid people that we do not know. It's as if we're like the three monkeys who, who cover their eyes and say, I do not see any strangers, and, or they cover their ears, I don't hear any strangers, or they cover their mouth, and I'm not going to talk to any strangers. And so we've got all of our bases covered. We never have to interact with anyone that we don't know. Well, today, when someone is traveling from, uh, from town to town or they go to a new area, they usually have the ability to obtain safe housing, to obtain food for themselves. But in the first century, this wasn't the case. And so when Christians in the first century, and Christians even at its peak, at their peak, made up less than 1% of the entire population of the first century, when Christians needed to travel, they found themselves in the midst of a vast land of pagans, people that maybe they could not Trust, And they certainly couldn't trust staying in an inn because most inns were known as being uh, places where prostitution and other wickedness took place. If they stayed out in the open in the city square, they could get mugged or they could get killed. And so Christians relied heavily on the hospitality of fellow believers wherever they went. But here's the problem. How do you know that someone, let's say you live in a certain town and, and there's a stranger who comes to town and they call themselves a Christian, how do you know that they really are a Christian? And uh, it sort of creates a dilemma. Because how do you know that you, would, you might take a chance on showing hospitality to someone and he turns out to be a thief or a murderer? And so how do you, how do you really overcome this problem of being hospitable to someone when you truly don't even know their character? Well, one of the ways that Christians overcame this issue was by carrying letters. Sometimes Christians who would travel to other countries or other cities would carry a letter with them that was written by a well-known church leader. And there's an example of this in the New Testament. And as an example, in the first century, there was a guy by the name of Gaius, G-A-I-U-S. And he's mentioned a handful of times in the New Testament, and it's amazing because usually when he's mentioned in the New Testament, he's referred to as being very hospitable. 
And so the Apostle Paul, at the end of his book that he wrote, his letter, extended letter that he wrote to the church at Rome, in Romans chapter 16, verse 23, the Apostle Paul said these words, and this is the chapter that everyone just sort of skips over and no one really pays a lot of attention to because Paul is saying, well, tell this person hi and tell this other person hi and this other person says hi. But in Romans chapter 16, verse 23, the Apostle Paul says these words, Gaius who is host to me and the whole church, greets you. And so what Gaius had done, he had opened up his home, not only so the Apostle Paul could have lodging and food and safety there in his home, but Gaius had actually opened up his church, opened up his home to the entire church so they could have a place each week to meet for worship. And then... Some 30 years later, the Apostle John, he writes the book that we call 3 John. Do you know who he writes it to? He writes it to Gaius. And look at what John says directly to Gaius. In 3 John verse 5, 3 John only has one chapter. So 3 John verse 5, John writes, Dear friend, You are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. It's likely that what happened when Gaius received this letter, or the reason that Gaius received this letter, was this. John knew that Gaius himself, who was a very hospitable man, would be traveling and would need a letter of recommendation. And so John wrote Gaius this letter of recommendation, which Gaius took on his journeys, and he could show it to Christians who would open up their home and invite Gaius in. And as you uh, probably could guess, these Christians that Gaius would give this letter over to, they did something very interesting. They got out a piece of parchment of their own, and they began to copy this letter called 3 John. Why? Because this letter had teachings and instructions from someone who was an actual apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it had doctrine from an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they would value that. And they would make a copy of Gaius's letter and give Gaius back the original. And so many copies were made that this letter, the content of this letter was preserved until it was finally included in the Bibles that you and I have today. And now you and I, are the beneficiaries of John's teachings, and it's because there was this guy named Gaius who was a hospitable Christian who needed the assistance of other hospitable Christians. Think about that. Hospitality is the reason one of the books of the Bible exists. Well, not only did Paul and John both talk about hospitality and how important it was, but so did Peter. And so you have, you have the big three, Peter, Paul, and John. And they are all talking about 
hospitality. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, Be hospitable to one another without complaining. And so I hope you get an idea of how important hospitality truly is. But remember what I mentioned earlier, that Christian hospitality goes deeper than the world's hospitality. Christian hospitality is more than simply showing kindness uh, out of courtesy. Christian hospitality is more than simply opening up your home to strangers. Christian hospitality is this. It is a friendship between two people that started out as strangers, but because of the Spirit of God, they end up building lifelong bonds. You see, when one Christian opens up his home or opens up his life to another Christian, the Holy Spirit is among them, and Xenia, strangers, turns into Philozenia love of strangers. What a powerful truth this is. And it becomes even more powerful when we read the rest of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. That entire verse reads this way. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. You know, you can read the hundreds and hundreds of books that have been written to instruct pastors and churches to have a good hospitality ministry, to have a good greeter ministry. And you'll find that these authors that write all of these books give a number of reasons why hospitality is important. They say things like, well, guests make up their mind in the first five minutes whether or not to return upon their entering of a church. They say things like, guests who are greeted well are far more likely to join the church or to make a decision to follow Christ than guests who are not greeted at all. These authors say things like, your faithful church members expect to be greeted at the door, and doing so can actually increase giving. They say things like, every dollar spent on hospitality will yield a $5 return. They say things like, a friendly face, greeting God's people can actually decrease the amount of negativity in your church. And they say things like, a six-foot, 250-pound man can hide behind an eight-ounce cup of coffee and feel more at ease with others. You know, I've heard it all. I've read it all. They say all of these things. All of these reasons are probably really good reasons to have a hospitality ministry that runs well. But I have yet to read in any of these church growth books the most important reason, the most important reason to have a good hospitality ministry because you might end up welcoming angels. That's the reason God gives, and there's a reason for it. Let me show you why. In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, there are at least four different occurrences where people were hospitable to angels. And in every case, something very similar happened. 
Let's see if you can pick up on it. In Genesis 18, Abraham showed hospitality to three angels. One was the angel of the Lord, who I believe is the the Lord Jesus Christ himself in pre-incarnate form. And so he showed hospitality to the pre-incarnate Christ and two other and two angels. After Abraham showed hospitality to these heavenly guests, the Lord blessed Abraham by promising him that his wife would have a son in a year's time. In the next chapter in Genesis 19, the two angels that had accompanied the Lord then made an appearance to Lot, who was living in the city of Sodom. After Lot showed hospitality to them, they blessed Lot by promising him that he would escape the judgment that would soon come upon Sodom. Later in Judges chapter 6, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and the Lord blessed Gideon by promising him that he would strike down Israel's enemy. And so Gideon showed hospitality to his heavenly guest. And then the Lord confirmed his promise to Gideon by consuming with fire the offering that Gideon had prepared. A similar thing happened in Judges chapter 13. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah and his wife. The angel of the Lord blessed this childless couple, by promising them a son, and they showed hospitality to their heavenly guest. The flame of the offering went up to the sky, and the angel of the Lord went up in the flame. They soon gave birth to Samson, who delivered Israel from their enemies. Do you see the pattern? The angel or angels who were shown hospitality brought a blessing of good news. We must show hospitality to all people because in doing so, we may in fact unknowingly show hospitality to angels who may have a blessing of good news for us. If we are not hospitable, maybe the angel will leave without giving us the blessing of good news. Could it be that whether or not the angel delivers the blessing depends on how he is received by us? So as we begin a new year, let's make this year filled with Christian hospitality. And who knows... Perhaps we, like our forefathers of old, may end up entertaining angels.